There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this my own podcast. I still pinch myself, but thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. For me, it was yeah, a bit of baptism by fire, if you like. My first job out, I was thrown into the hot seat. I'll, I remember that job very well because it didn't go that well. When I say John O'Neill used to be the reason some people lived and others didn't, that's not overstating it. He was an expert in de-escalating a volatile situation, having attended over 100 police critical incidents as a police negotiator. John has been in situations you and I only read about or see in TV crime shows. The longest siege he was involved in lasted 41 hours. (laughs) How did he manage that? Did he ever walk away thinking... Why did I say that? Why didn't I say that? Are there ones which didn't end well? And how did he deal with that? Now John is out of policing and teaches others how to de-escalate violence through his own company, Procom Consulting. John O'Neill, welcome and thanks so much for your time. Hi, Narelle. Um, Aren't you lovely making me sound so much better than I really am? Well, I had to tell a few <laughs> porcupines there, John, or else nobody would listen. Really? <laughs> oh, wow. Good, good to hear from you. A hostage negotiator is generally not something that you'd grow up to want to be as a little kid. So what happened that drew you to hostage negotiation? Um, no, no, that was um, the last thing on my mind um, growing up. I, I had, um, like many, no idea really what I was going to do. I joined the Navy, in fact, out of school uh, just because I wasn't very good at school and they were offering a job. Uh, so I I went across there and um, and started sleepwalking. So that didn't last long. They kicked me out of the Navy. Boy, sleepwalking could get you into all sorts of problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently not that funny when you're at sea. Well, I could have fallen out a hatch. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, came, I came back home and still not knowing what I was going to do next. And um, and Dad's good friend, uh, a fellow by the name of Dave Sharp, was in the um, Bureau of Criminal Intelligence at the time of the police the BCI and uh, as it was then and uh, you know he drove he drove a little Datsun 180 and he had a afro haircut and a uh, you know gun on his ankle and, and it was like get smart to me you know it was pretty cool and he said why don't you think about joining the cops so so I had to go at that and you know what yeah didn't look back um found, found myself in the police and making my way towards this sort of stuff it was terrific. 
So how long were you in the BCI? Uh, maybe, I don't know, driving your little Datsun? <laughs> uh, well, I didn't go into the BCI. I went in just a standard general entry. I mean, he he was there, but, um, and, you know, that seemed sort of just, you know, yeah, really cool stuff. And, uh, and like I said, I didn't really know, so I thought I'll have a go at that. And I was, uh, I'd only been in the Navy a couple of years. So went in the, I think I was 20 in the academy. And, uh, in fact, the, the day that I did my police interview was um, the Wall Street uh, murders of those two policemen, uh, time and air. So it was, um, yeah, re- really um, an emotional sort of day for, for everyone. And uh, and I was asked, you know, do you, after hearing the news this morning, do you still want to, you still want to do this? And I said, absolutely. So it makes me want to do it more, to be honest. Um, it was really sad stuff. So yeah, so I went in and um, and then found my way. Just luckily, I think um, by good fortune, found my way in a unit that. Um, uh, housed the police negotiators, and so I applied for that, and and uh, and sort of found my thing, I guess, if you like, and I've been passionate about it ever since. I guess, and that was when was that? That was uh, uh, I got into that unit ninety three. So, God, it's forever ago. What type of training did you have to undertake? Um, so what what we did then was um, and and still um, to this day of course you have a you have a basic course if you like so you apply and you um, you have to be deemed suitable so you go through a selection process and um, ensure that um, you're not quite as crazy as the people you might be talking to I guess that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's questionable at times I think but uh, so you so you uh, make sure you're up right aptitude for it and you um, go and, and sit in on the initial course which runs a couple of weeks and then you start your on-the-job training, I suppose. You'd call it your apprenticeship if you like and and they sort of ease you into it, um, ease you into the gig and, you know, it's a, as you mentioned earlier in your um, intro, it's a, absolutely a team effort and um, uh, you're surrounded by a team, so in the various team roles and responsibilities and and eventually you find yourself in what we used to call the hot seat, and that is the, the primary negotiator role and talking to people and, and trying to help people and get some, you know, some successful and peaceful outcomes. When you're heading to an incident, who's on your team? Who's with you? Like, you know, techs or IT? Um, so initially uh, when you're out at a real job, um, you would like to think that you're in a um, – in a support role, but quite often the jobs, um, because of resources and things, there's not, there only might be two of you on the job. So the more senior person would uh, be in a second, what we call a secondary role, and that is supporting the, the primary communicator, primary negotiator. So uh, for me, it was yeah, a bit of baptism by fire, if you like. I um, uh, my first job out, I was thrown into the hot seat, and um, I remember that job very well because it didn't go that well. <laughs> Uh, well, I shouldn't love it. I mean, no, but nobody died, so um, uh, no one was seriously injured or anything like that. Um, but um, I just laugh at my own performance, and I honestly thought it was—I uh, thought I was still on the course. I thought this was a big, giant setup and a training exercise. I was being punked or something um, because up at uh, it was in a Tuka. And uh, have we got time to talk about this story? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, you just stop me because you know. Typical negotiator, probably talk too much, but um, well, you've met your match here. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh well, um, um, yeah. So look on the on the way, and I said, um, so you know, who's talking? And uh, the fellow I was with, uh, the senior guy at the time, there's actually two two in the, in the car with me. And I said, well, you are. You know, you're on, and I'm like, oh, I shit myself the whole way up there. Um, to be honest, and and um, and thinking too much about it is what I realised later. We can we can think too much about these things before we get there, and uh, and wind yourself up a little bit. But anyway, so put the pressure on myself, and and um, and often that's what lets us down. You know, we put too much pressure on ourselves, I think, to perform, but um, and forget that we are just human, and we. We muck it up sometimes, but anyway. So we got there, and there was a fellow in a house, in a court, and um, and uh, he was uh, inside his home with just a security door uh, locked, and um, had covered himself in fuel and things, and said he had gas bottles and what have you, and he was going to open them up and ignite those, ignite himself, and all this sort of stuff, and uh, you know, really pretty serious, and. Um, 
So we were there with local police, of course. Local police had turned up, and he was known to them. He'd um, had quite a um, coloured history, if you like, uh, um, up there locally, so he was well known. Um, anyway, so they throw me in there, and um, so I'm chatting away to this fellow, and I was um, much younger than him, which is another hurdle, of course, and so tend to look at you sometimes like, what would you know? Barely been around the block. And uh, as far as negotiating go, I would have hated for him to think that was my first time (laughs) having a go at it because he probably would have dismissed me um, pretty quickly, as perhaps he should have. But anyway, so uh, talking for a while. In the background, I can hear this voice yelling out, you know, you're going back to prison. You know, you're going back to jail. You're an idiot. You find all this sort of stuff. And I kept looking around thinking, who is this? Where is this coming from? And it was one of the police <laughs> that knew him. Gee, thanks for your so help. They, 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 yeah. So I think, what? <laughs> uh, actually, my own team here were working against me on this one, and that's what I started to think, is this really a setup? And um, it's in the background. So we had to um, um, politely ask that that officer, could they be somewhere else and do something else for us? But, you know, it was a bizarre job. There was there were even people sitting over the over the road in their front yard on deck chairs Having a drink, really? what? Yeah, watching watching the show, watching the commotion, and all the the police and you know us coming up there as well, and because we look a little bit different because we're in plain clothes and what have you, um, up there, and it was just bizarre. And in the end, um, in the end, I sort of had him talking near the the front door, and they'd uh, gone away and got the keys to that. Uh, from the real estate agent, got the keys to that front door and quickly opened the door and grabbed him by the arm and dragged him out in the front lawn and hosed him down. So that was how – that didn't end through my great negotiating. But uh, that, that, as they often do, ended by other means. But, but you know what, he wasn't hurt. So, you know, everyone walked away from that. And, and uh, But I'll never forget it. That must be enormous pressure to have everyone listening to every word you say, uh, the police, the public, you must be so conscious of what you're saying. Yep. <laughs> is, it, is it that where a lot of anxiety comes from, the, the fear of just mucking it up, and especially in front of, in front of your peers, you know, in front of your mates and, uh, and others and, and who – you know, whoever else is going to be there at the at the site and on scene, and you know, oh yeah, like you, you do. But um, you know, as time went on, I I realised the the more I relaxed about attending to these things, um, the more smoothly they ran. You know, the the more I just just attend, just as a person that has an interest, and the interest was the common interest was that. Um, people walked away, you know, that everyone was okay at the end of it, us and them. Um, so in that situation that you've just told us about, how did you establish communication with him in the house? So so when so when we get there, so what, what you have is like an inner, well, you remember this stuff, Narelle, um, inner, inner perimeter or an inner cordon, so you have um, offices that are located around around what we call the stronghold or the house or wherever the the site of negotiation was. So, uh, and that's all for safety. So that if he did run out or you know he did do something that was going to hurt others, you know that there's a, a police contingent there to to attend to that. So, um, so we would go in the inner perimeter, and then the, on that inner perimeter was was of course the negotiator, Sal or me. And uh, with a backup, with a support, a secondary. So where they're very close, but in a position where you can um, seek cover, if you like, and, and quickly withdraw if you have to and be somewhere else. Um, so safety is always the, the big thing. But, but I've got to tell you, like those those early days, um, you're now more, even more conscious of safety. Those early days, all I was focused on was doing a good job talking. Um, you know, you want you want to do a great job and get it right and and, and help people, save people. So thinking about that, and and thankfully, other more experienced police around me that had been to more sieges and things like that. You know, they're looking at the safety as a priority. But but yeah, so we're there, right right outside at the front, and that's why you the people over the road were listening, and the neighbours, and you know, everyone wants to watch the show. 
sort of thing. Yeah, no it's, pressure, John. <laughs> no pressure. No, that's right. Plenty of plenty of pressure. Fifty to five, as they say. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweat, sweat and bullets a bit, but um, you know, again, part of the team, a part of being in that team is that you look after each other, and you, you know, it's a little bit short of you know patting my forehead like I'm in ER. Um, you know, a little bit short of that, but it's not far short. It's you know, you know, it's it's almost like you you can see you can see when your colleagues are under the pump and when you're struggling, and, and they could would have seen that in me. And you know, hopefully at the next break or next opportunity, I get a little shoulder rub or something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like breathe, breathe, Johnny, breathe. <laughs> so, were you in a van in the street or talking to him from a local house or? No, I was there. I was there on his front step. Oh, my God, John. Yeah, I could see him, which you might think is quite ridiculous, but um, you, you're safer. On his steps, how dangerous. Dangerous, yeah, but you're safer being able to see the person and to be able to, you know, watch their hands and to read their read their behaviour, their human behaviours, and uh, try to predict, you know, intent and things like that. You're safer being there and talking and engaging than perhaps being in the car where I can't see what he's doing and I can't see what he's up to and I can't read, then I don't know what's in his hands and stuff like that. So, um, you know, as as I've learned, you know, whilst someone's talking, you know, I used to say they're not, they're not cutting and what that meant was that, you know, attending to people that perhaps self-harming or had suicidal intent uh, that often, you know, uh, be in possession of weapons and things, but once you're engaged, and once you engage them, and they're talking, and they're busy with the the process of talk, and um, they would stop, stop the harm, they'd stop the cutting, they'd stop thinking of other other wonderful ways to hurt themselves or others because they're engaged and they and they and they feel like they're in something with you a little to a degree. But you have to show interest, you know. If 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 they don't feel that you're genuinely interested in them. Um, then, then you, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna get you anywhere. They, they're gonna turn off. Yeah. So, in a situation like you were in on that day, mm. I imagine those first words you say are just so important. So, mm-hmm. can you remember what the first words that you said to him or to anyone in that type of a situation? What are those first words you say? <laughs> Um, can you hear me? <laughs> Usually, it's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm here. Um, generally, I wouldn't introduce myself or bother with a name or anything like that. I'd just I'd use their name if I had it, and and uh, you know, and find out whether they can hear me. And that that was that was one. Not all the time. You, all, all, you know, every job's different. But um, you know, are you there? You know, say for example, I don't want to use his name, but um, you know, Billy, you know, Billy Bob. Um, are you there, Billy Bob? Can you hear me? Okay, you know that that, that might be enough just to um, to get things going. And if there is no response, then I might um, use his name again and uh, and tell him that I'm you know I'm worried you can't hear me and uh, you know perhaps I should move, should I move you know and things like that. Just just small little snippets, if you like, to try to commence the engagement. Um, but he'd already been yelling and talking. He was quite drunk. Um, so, uh, you know, I think uh, in my experience, drunks are the most difficult to negotiate with. Uh, you know, um, I'm not just talking about from my end. <laughs> you actually sound like you're speaking from first-hand experience there, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, try, trying to get somewhere, round around in circles um, quite often over the same ground. Again, again, short, short concentration span and, and things. Not only would you have to be a good talker, but a good listener as well, and to appear interested, even if you're not. Uh, yes, yeah, you bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want, I want to know as much as I can about what's in their head, and um, uh, you know, we we use um, you know, empathy, for example, as as getting there. I'm trying trying to use association as a technique. You know, trying to relay stories that might be similar to what you think. You throw things out and you you throw ideas out to people when you don't know what they're thinking uh, in, in order to exploit their want to correct you 
that makes sense. So if I, I'm not entirely sure, I want I want an answer to something. I want to get an idea of what they're feeling. Then I'll throw out a thought and then hope that they will want to show knowledge or they want to correct me. Um, Can you give us an example of how you establish rapport with somebody that you don't know and who's just so agitated, for instance? Um, sure, like like uh, er- erroneous statements, you could call them. Um, so say, for example, I don't know, you play sport these days, you know? A little. What did what, what, you play? What, what did you, were you involved in? was a pretty handy softballer in my day. Softball, right. So if I know nothing about softball, uh, but I want to know something about softball, um, then I'll throw a statement out there. So say I want to know how many players are on a on a team, well then I'll just throw, oh, softball, Narelle. I love it. It's the same as the same as baseball, isn't it? You got I think you eight what, eight players aside. And I might make some comment like that. And you're thinking to yourself, Oh, he's an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's 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 nothing. It's nothing like baseball. Um, there's certainly not a. And you will hopefully make some comment that you know shows your knowledge uh, of what that's about. Uh, and then, I, so I gain I gain information that way. So you can do that. You can do that with emotion too. You must be feeling scared. Oh, I'm not feeling scared. Told me, you know, and all of a sudden you get an eruption um, of of feeling, uh, which can help you. Yeah. Going back to that job with the man on the steps, I know I keep going back to it, but it's just such an interesting um, case and situation. And so bloody dangerous. And you're sitting on the steps. Yeah, yeah, we're still stuck on the first job, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. So what what sort of intel do you need prior to getting um, to a job and where do you get that intel from? Well, um, initially we'd have a da- we had a database and we, um, gee, when I was at the unit we were, we set it up. In fact, there wasn't a database prior to that except for uh, people's written notes. But So we formalised that and, uh, and uh, did some data entry, if you like. So we'd go to a job, we'd record who it was, you know, and, uh, and what their issue was and um, – and importantly, um, what worked and what didn't work. So you know what what they were interested in, perhaps what what they didn't like to talk about. Um, you know what what really helped us to resolve things in a peaceful way. So we'd recall that. So there may have been may have been um, some information if they'd done it before. Remember, we had a chap that was um, he'd been up on the Westgate Bridge three times and um, and had held us there at bay talking about stepping off and what have you for, um, you know, you had some stuff going on. And um, so there were some notes there that we could access. But that was um, that was rare, in fact, because the database at that point was only, you know, a couple of years old. And um, so we would go to basic um, police records to see whether they'd been involved with the police before and had interaction and whether they were, you know, what their disposition was in those particular incidents and their demeanour towards police? Did they did they love us? Did they hate us? Did they, you know, uh, would they talk? Would they not talk? And that sort of thing. Had they been in prison, for example? Had they committed you know, some serious crimes? Um, so all that sort of intel, you, you, you get that to try to put a bit of a picture together, but it's really important that you don't go in with any um, uh, bias, if you like, or preconceived ideas of what this person is going to be like. You attend and you and you and you do your best to get the story and find out what's going. You make your own judgment at the time. You wouldn't want to mention something that had set them off, would you? <laughs> no, no. I can't imagine the stress of of knowing that if you say something wrong or they take something you say the wrong way or it upsets them, that they could just step off that bridge, which would be the last thing on earth, obviously, that you would want to happen. (laughs) That's right. Don't mention his mother. Yeah, that's right. uh, And look, if we had that sort of intel, then that would be terrific. But often you, you learn as you go with that sort of stuff. So you'll say things that will bite you. And you think to yourself, right, you know, when we used to set up a proper negotiator cell in someone's home or we used to have a negotiator truck uh, with a soundproof cell, then we'd have whiteboards in there. And um, so you'd write that sort of stuff up. 
don't don't mention this, don't mention that, don't mention his mother. Um, so I think, um, and just as a prompt or a reminder, um, yeah, for sure. But you know, so just just some of those we used to call them word bullets. You know, some um, word bullets like things that um, unintentional, but uh, you know, you just have to be a little bit be careful around them. Classic is, you know, um, calm down. There's there's a classic one. <laughs> you know, people that are angry, generally, you know, police might rock up and often the first thing out is, you know, just calm down. Or you see people interacting just in public and someone's yelling and someone tell them, calm down. And, um, you know, you put yourself in the other person's shoes, which I think is really, really important. The negotiations. But how dare you tell me to calm down? You know, you don't know who I am or what I've just been through or what I've seen or what's upset me. Are you coming here to tell me what to do. So, I'd, you know, if I could take, if I could take calm down out of um, police vocab and throw it in the bin, you know, I reckon, uh, you know, and change it out with something like, I, I want to help you. You know, I want to help you. Um, I think that 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 might be. Of benefit of his, you know, attend to people that are clearly emotionally hijacked, um, and start with helping rather than telling. Uh, I think was uh, was always a good thing. Have a helping attitude, not a telling one. I must admit, if I'm mad about something, say at home with my husband, and he'll say, "Just calm down," it riles me and makes me even angrier. <laughs> I will not calm down and don't speak to me in that condescending tone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. I am calm. Or um, listen to me, you know. Like, no, because for the person that's in rage, it's all about them. You know, they want someone to listen to them. They don't want to be told and listen to other people. Not in the early stages of a negotiation anyway or critical incident. It should be about attending and listening, not say, not saying too much to, to anger. I don't think I've ever read or heard of a hostage situation where a woman has taken anyone hostage. Uh, I've only had, not as a primary perpetrator, um, um, where female has held, um, perhaps barricaded themselves and held uh, police at bay and, and things like that. But I've had situations where there have been females present in the in the home that have um, um, well, one, in fact, I thought was initially was a hostage, turned out to be a supporter and, and what have you. So things like things like that. But look, there are there are evil women out there, Narelle. There are plenty of women out there with evil in them. Come on, John, you've been looking in all the wrong places. <laughs> Maybe that's why I am single. <laughs> How do you concentrate on the job at hand, talking to the hostage taker, with all the other stuff going on in the background? You really defy the general consensus that a man can't multitask. But we'd isolate ourselves as best as best you possibly could. I mean, that first job example. Um, you know, is, is different to that, isn't it? It's an um, exception to the rule there, I guess. But we would try to isolate ourselves. So, um, and, and that was really important. So, um, if we'd commandeer someone's home, <laughs> not commandeer, we, we'd seek permission, of course. We'd we'd knock on someone's door and and let them know that there's a, a police incident just around the corner. Uh, would it be okay if we um, used your your dining area or a lounge room or would you have a space in the house that we could perhaps use for a little – and we'd all, always say I'd never set my own um, time parameters or deadlines and, so, and give them how long I thought it was going to take. I'd just, just say, can we have it just for a little while? <laughs> this, shouldn't, this shouldn't take too long. <laughs> you know? Some of them. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. It can go on forever. Yeah, exactly. Knowing that it could, uh, it could go for quite some time, and then we end up negotiating with the homeowner to please let us stay a bit longer. And you can take over a house unintentionally. <laughs> oh, gee, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, mate. There, there was one, one particular job where. Um, the police were using the kitchen in and out and their muddy boots and uh, that became a real issue. <laughs> so can you please let us stay? I'll, make, I'll ask the, all the police officers here to take their boots off before they come in to make themselves a coffee, which was better, better than the you know field catering unit that we had in their coffee probably, but um, so I don't blame them, but no. But, you know, yeah, sorry, I've sort of jumped off track there, didn't I? Not at all. I could listen to you all day. <laughs> um what are the signs to know when someone is for real or if they're just attention-seeking? I know it's a big call to make, isn't it, and a really risky call? Yeah, I, I think you're right when you say big call. You wouldn't make that make that call. You might you might know that somebody has been in a similar situation previously, perhaps um, you know a number of times, or they have a history. But um, you have to treat each each job each um instance seriously um you know you know even though they may have done it. look sadly um the statistics show us that usually in the third um suicidal type incident that they they will succeed um but still you, you just treat each one as you take it um you hope that they talk um for me somebody that wanted to talk a lot um was a great indicator um, to me that they really wanted someone else to share what was going on to really truly understand their pain. Um, and you know, we're in the past. I may have felt that no one really, really took them seriously or really got what the situation was. So, um, to me, if they're talking, that's just terrific. And you know, I'm I want to soak all that up as much as I can to get as best handle on what they might be feeling as I can um, and perhaps then lead into what's brought them to where we are right now, you know, and then look at where we're going to go next, um, you know, and, and, and by next I mean a plan, if you like, whereby no one no one gets hurt and uh, they can you know, get back to some resemblance of a normal life. What if a hostage asks you a question that you can't answer or pro- or a promise you can't keep. Yeah, that happens. Or that happens plenty. But see, for me, as the prime negotiator, I'm not the decision maker. So I'm there as a person that works with the person in distress in crisis, 
works with them to try to to try to get some outcomes that are you know palatable to all of us that are that are successful. So I'm there. So when when big requests or demands, if you like, are made, then one of my roles is to put that pass that on straight out to the decision makers that are people that are senior, that are experienced, that sit detached from the actual negotiation cell, and that so therefore they can have a more objective viewpoint on everything because they've got to balance all of this stuff. They've got to balance the demands and, and the threats coming from the person um, at the centre of it. They've got to balance that with also what I am suggesting will be the best way forward and perhaps the best way to a resolution uh, against the community interest, the safety of the public, you know, the expectations of the public, um, God, resources, costs, everything. So there's a lot going on. So while these requests are being considered by the braid, uh, the decision makers, how do you feel in the time while the decisions are being made? Like, what sort of things are you saying to the person? Well, well, I try to bring them back to some sort of uh, realistic time frame or platform. Um, ex- if if they'll allow me to explain some of the processes at play, but also to reassure them that there's, you know, that things are being done, that 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 I'm not just listening to what they say and you know taking that and throwing it in the bin. I am actually passing things on, and I am putting my. Uh, emphasis behind it. If I think it's you know going to work, the things that I think are just ridiculous, I won't say that, but that are ridiculous and that won't work, I will try to bring them around to that way of thinking too. Could you give us an example of what an unrealistic um, or maybe ridiculous request might be, or a request that you can't match? Well, well for example, um, um, you know, I don't know if you saw it, even on last night on TV. Did you see the um, they they um, they had a, a show on TV uh, recounting the uh, Spit Bridge incident in Sydney there in the mid eighties, where um, they, the, the bank robbery. Um, and now clearly that um, that fellow had watched uh, Dog Day Afternoon, perhaps watched too much TV, and so he's he's copycatting a bit of that stuff. Um, often these people um, they may be. Um, you know, maybe suffering some mental health issues. They may have some delusions going on uh, that perhaps they just have watched too much TV and they may ask for and demand things that are simply unrealistic. So, for example, if they did want to, like that particular job, have a car where they could, you know, come outside and, you know, no one's going to come near them. They're going to hop in the car and they're going to drive away. Well, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to discard the the demand, of course, I'm going to put it forward because, again, it's a balance. Um, so everything has to be taken into account. But I'm also going to um, suggest to the person that you know, that my my boss, the people uh, out here, they're probably I'm not going to say they won't. They're probably not going to want you to drive off. You know, and if you do drive off, how are we going to continue this tour? How are we going to get somewhere and work out a best way forward? What you're doing is being honest, I suppose. I'm absolutely. I am. I am. And I'm going to say things like, um, how are we going to talk to each other whilst you are out there? And then I'm going to be inquisitive and probably want to know where they would go. And they might say, well, you, you know, that's none of your effing business and you just you just put, put it forward and tell me how long it's going to take and I want it here now, otherwise I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to reassure them that I've done that. I'm going to guarantee that, They'll be safe if we keep talking, and I'm going to ask them to please not hurt themselves or hurt anyone else. These basic things that I call essential essential items, and you know, I'm going to ask them please, and I'll say, promise me, promise me that you won't you won't do anything like that whilst we're talking here, you know. And I don't want to see you hurt, and you know, hand on heart, I don't want to see people die. I have come close to talking my husband to death. I've been told. <laughs> You'd be a great one. I'd come out pretty quick if you were talking to me. So will you please, <laughs> please be quiet, Narelle. I'll, I'll come and do anything you want. <laughs> In bringing a situation to a close, how do you get someone to come outside? Like what sort of things would you be saying uh, to try and bring that situation to a conclusion? Be, because they might not want to come out. They might assume, and probably correctly, uh, 
that they'll be incarcerated? Well, look, again, I'll be um, truthful. Um, I'm not going to speculate, right? even though I think, you know, when they, someone comes out, they are probably going to prison for this at some point uh, or they'll be remanded in custody whilst there's a, some sort of bail hearing. Um, I am going to be truthful to the fact that, you know, when you come out, investigators will want to talk to you and that is that is the truth. I'm also going to let them know when you come out, we need to make sure that you haven't got anything on you that can hurt you or hurt us, you know. And I'll tell them that I've been, you know, I've been speaking here for a while. I understand a lot more about you than the people outside that have other jobs and other roles and other responsibilities. I believe you when you tell me you're going to come out and you won't bring that knife. I believe you, but others will want to see that for themselves. So when you come out, you're going to be asked to probably kneel down or to lay down and and I want you to do exactly as you're told, and you'll be safe. And uh, and so I'll let them know that's going to happen, but I'll also let them know that they'll hear my voice as well. So you'll hear my voice all the way until you'll hear some other people calling on you. They'll be yelling at you, listen very carefully, do what they say, and then you'll hear my voice again, and I'll be there. Um, if if it was possible for me to get down face to face and close to the job, and you'll hear me, and that and that often can be um, a voice that's comfortable, or, or sort of some sort of safe voice, if you like, because they're used to me, and and hopefully I've done everything I said I'd do, and I haven't done anything I said I wouldn't do, um, if you like, um, so that there is some there's a degree of rapport, or, or even gee, if I'm lucky, some trust, uh, if they're comfortable with their relationship. So that happens and then I'm gonna and then it will be a job for the investigators to take it to to collate the evidence, you know, to interview, to collate the evidence, to put it forward and and they may or may not be incarcerated, but that's not for me. So um, the investigators are gonna want to talk to you. And that and that's what I will tell them. And then you know what? They get their chance to to put their side of everything forward again, like they may have done with me for the last eight hours. But they'll get they'll get to put all that stuff forward again and take it from there. And uh, you know, I try to try to look at the things in the future that are more positive than the negative. I guess. Do you have any involvement after they come outside and are under arrest, or do you just walk away? Well, well. I'll- I will talk to them if I'm if I can get face to face. I will talk to them, and that'll be the whole way until they are um, searched and secured, and they're uh, put in a vehicle and um, and they're driven away. Um, some uh, suicidal uh, suicide invention jobs that I've been to, I have offered certain uh, referrals or counselling or uh, contact points, and I've offered follow up. And if I if I do that, I'm going to do it. it. How easy is it for me as a as a policeman to the next for the next day to follow up? to make the inquiries, to get in touch with that person, to let them know that, you know what, I'm not just, not just there because I'm getting paid at the time and, you know, as soon as you're off and, you know, great, I'll wash my hands of that and go home and, you know, when I do go home and think about other things, of course I do, but but still it's 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 the human element, I think, that, um, that carries through is just, you know, that I am a person, that I actually do have concern for them surviving, uh, me, me first, <laughs> them, me, me surviving first, them second, but ab- absolutely, um, and that's easy to do that follow up. So no, it's not, it's not just okay. That's, uh, you know, that's done. Phones hung up. Oh, he's been, you know, uh, dragged out of the house, or he, he surrendered peacefully, or, um, or once, you know, set fire to his own home and burn himself out. But you know, and then I just, you know, okay, let's go to the pub, drink beer, and forget about that. No, of course not. No. Have you ever had a situation where a hostage taker wants to thank you or hug you or show some sort of appreciation for helping them? I don't know, maybe have a beer with them? Because I imagine those times are so emotional, it's just like um, they want to say thanks. Um, <laughs> um, absolutely being called um, for a handshake. Um, and or just to be um, spoken to, to be seen at the end for sure. Uh, not a beer, but but one of the guys, my mentor, in fact, um, Neil Stewart. He he had a he had a beer with uh, someone after they'd been searched. Um, they'd been cleared and everything. They were allowed to 
have a drink, would you believe? No, I wouldn't. Many, many years ago <laughs> at the front of a house. Uh, so that did happen. But that's it. You know what? It's just an indicator of the um, the connection that you can can build with some people, that, especially in crisis, you know, where emotions are, you know, red hot and uh, and you and and you're the only point of contact. You know, we, we'd isolate phones and things like that. So they try to ring anybody. They try to ring their friend. No, they'd get me every time. So you are the only voice that they have. And they might, if they're, if they're sick of my voice, they might scream at the windows or come outside or carry on like that. They'd look for another voice, but they're only going to get my voice. And and we and I want that to be the case because I want I want them to depend on me. I don't want them talking to others that I can't control. I don't want them not – I want to know exactly where we've been and where we are right now and stick to whatever I may have um, promised. And uh, I want them to depend on me. So just that one voice. So, um, you know, you build – you absolutely build quite a connection with some. And it doesn't take take that long to do that in those heat, heated, um, heated incidents. Yeah. Are there times you leave a job – and you go home or on your way home, you're thinking to yourself, why did I say that? <laughs> or why didn't I say that? God, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, every job, every job, Narelle, <laughs> probably every job. Um, you know, some jobs you leave, you think, you know, we, we really got somewhere that, you know, that was good, that went well. And others, <clears throat> and others, you know, why did I? Why? Why did I, you know, have a crack at him about that? Or what? Why? Why did I um, seem to side with uh, uh, the doctors or the parents or somebody that you know he may have um, had an issue with? Or you know, why? Why did I um, dwell on perhaps something in the past that was negative? You know, knowing that he had a, a depressive disorder. So you know, of course you. you you walk away and you think I could have done it better, but I think I think we need to think like that too because you can always do it better. You walk every, every job you walk away from, you should be learning something, and whether it's just the experience alone that, that um, helps you to do your job better the next time round, um, and and to associate more, you know, with people that are going through these things to let them know that they're not alone on the planet, that that other people on the planet um, have. And may in you know experience similar things, similar circumstances, but we we talk about those instances where where there is a really great positive um, ending to it and outcome to it. What's one of the biggest lessons you've learned in a situation? Um, the biggest lesson to that people will often uh, be very. Um, Convincing, <laughs> but but underneath have their own um, perhaps have their own agendas and things. They can be quite convincing. So that to look at look at things uh, holistically, if you like, when you're talking to people. So look at what they're saying, listen to what they're saying, but look at how they're behaving and and look for congruency. I guess are, are their behaviours um, supporting their words. Um, and the way that they're delivering their words, is it all together? If I've got that congruency from someone, so they're saying something, uh, sounds like they mean it, their behaviours, their past behaviours, their present behaviours all support that, then, you know, and, and I look at probability, <laughs> probability, is it probable what they're saying, um, and consistency in their story as well and their timing and their, you know, the detail and vagueness and all those things that come into it. Um, to try to form an overall picture, but um, you know, not always. So, not always. But every, every job's different. I had a, I had a neighbour once convince me, nearly convince me to let him have a talk to a fellow at a home. Um, and he had family inside this fellow. He he was armed, um, and it was Christmas, um, which. Often we, we see a spike in incidents around those times that involve family and and again emotion, and um, and it turned out the fact he was hell bent on having a talk. He said he would, they were good friends. Uh, if he just talked to him, everything would be okay. He was the cause of the incident. He'd been really yeah he he'd been involved um, where he shouldn't have been involved with this fellow's wife, and uh, he was actually uh, cause. And thankfully, we just sort of. 
you know, you, you go with gut a lot of it. You go with gut, gut feel. It's often it doesn't all, it doesn't often let you down. Gut, gut's usually right, and you surround your gut feeling with um, circumstance and evidence and, and things. So yeah, that that sort that sort of stuff. Um, you know that uh, often people lessons I've learned well, not lessons, but I've learned that often people will just want you to soak up their stuff. You don't have to have an answer. People too often feel that they need an answer, like, and you see it day to day in in domestic life, where you know some someone just wants to talk to somebody else. They don't; they're not looking for an answer, but the other person listening feels that they need to provide a solution or provide an answer. They have to be the wise old owl, and no, that's that's not the case. Often, it's just absorbing, and you know, you know, sometimes I, I um I felt like I could have I could have screwed my ears off, put them in a shoebox, just kick the shoebox across the road and they'd be just as happy talking into the shoebox. <laughs> really, really. And then when they're done, I'll just, can I grab my shoebox back, you know? Um, just like that, that's something that I I guess I guess that I've picked up. Safety probably too less. I've learned plenty of lessons around safety, not being closer to a, a job than you really need to be to do the job. People want to get close to people and it's not always safe physically. Half the time they probably just want someone to talk to and to listen. Nothing more, nothing less. So, so true. They do. And somebody else to share and by sharing, so they, they sort of relieve them of a bit of load, I guess, as well, a bit of weight, just to share it. Someone else to, to try to understand what they're perhaps going through or feeling and, you know, um, we, we used to do we think of red teaming, and red, red teaming is about putting yourself in another person's shoes. So you can do that. I used to do that with negotiating. Try to put myself in their shoes as best I, as I can to look back at myself, to measure my performance, to to ask myself if I was them right now, would I feel crowded? Would I feel intimidated? Would I feel like I'm being heard? Would I feel like the you know that the other person's talking too much, talking at me? Is he listening? Is he interested? Is he genuine? You know, am I safe? These sorts of things, red team it to then, you know, to review your own performance or, you know, adjust accordingly, I suppose. Has there been an incident you've been involved in which didn't end well or a life was lost? Um, that, that has happened um, for the unit as a whole. I haven't spoken, I haven't been speaking to anybody that has um, taken their life or where there's a life been lost whilst the job was on myself, but others in the unit have, and it's really quite impacting. It's, uh, um, yeah, because, you know, like you said at the start, just pe- we're just people, <laughs> you know, people that have got experience in this particular um, field, if you like, um, but people that want to help. If you didn't want to help, um, then you wouldn't be in the, in the gig. Um, so yeah, it absolutely can weigh really heavily on people, but you have to, you have to hand on heart, know that I think walk away from jobs, hand on heart, knowing you did as much as you possibly could for that person whilst you were safe, that you did as much as you could whilst protecting your own life and, and your colleagues and, and perhaps the public. And, um, you know, but look, I had, I had, a uh, you talk about, um, females in these positions. I, I did negotiate, actually, now that I think about it, with a, a woman, uh, in a, I won't say, we're in a city, um, high-density sort of living area in, in a city, she had a knife, large knife, she's cutting herself quite heavily on a balcony. And um, and I you know, kept talking to her, but we had interference from the street and people yelling things because you could see, you know, as I said, it was a very high-density suburb. And people yelling all sorts of abuse and just you know inconsiderate rubbish, and um, and that that was sort of set, setting us back a lot. And she'd go inside and she'd hurt herself a bit more. She'd come out and she'd openly hurt herself, and then so I was sort of we had two negotiation points: one at her door, and then and then me down on the street, and um, trying trying to. Get somewhere with this with this lady, and uh, in the end, she did come out the door and down with the knife out in front. And of course, no one wants to see uh, see her killed, uh, kill herself, or, or 
and killed by us or when I say killed, you know, um, that's usually a consequence. We're trying to stop someone using force against us. That's um, often the way it ends. So, um, and she just kept going and going and pushing and pushing all the way in the street until she breached that inner perimeter whereby, as I said before, you've got to balance the, you know, the um, safety community as well as her and us. So the dog actually, um, one of the canine units, um, let, let the dog go and that stopped her where she was and stuff. But she lived. Again, she lived, which was good. So that, again, it was not the best outcome. Best outcome was she put the knife down and come downstairs and have a cup of tea and I lay down in a dark room for a while. But, um, no, she she was taken down by the dog and a bit of weight away from her. I don't understand how anyone could think about interfering or saying something inflammatory or derogatory to someone who's clearly troubled and whom the police are trying to talk to and de-escalate the oh. problem. It just beggars belief. It's it's mad, isn't it? We I remember that um, a job we had at the Westgate uh, Bridge that time where there was a fellow at the service station on the bridge with a rifle sitting in the back of his van and he's and pretending that he's shooting the cars driving across the bridge like they were ducks at the you know, at a, at a carnival sideshow. And um, so we stopped the traffic on the bridge and the and the amount of um, flack that come out of that, the, um, the complaints, people ringing into the radio to talk back. I'm sitting on the bridge. I've been stuck here now for over an hour or an hour, blah, blah, blah. You know, having a com- complaint they couldn't get to work. And I guess it would be frustrating, but they don't see the bigger picture. <laughs> they could have they could have been shot as they drove to work, you know, and um and often that was the case with sieges. You know, when the sun started to come up, you knew that um pressure would be on um to to resolve things a little bit because um, you know, we're cordon off streets and we um, block off roads and things and um, for, for everyone's safety and people get up and they want to go to work and they all of a sudden they or they hear the helicopter overhead or they, they can't drive out, you know, down their street because it's blocked off to go to work. So so we get huge, huge media attention, huge, you know, issue with that too. So. Yeah, look, there's a fine line with what you tell the public and what you don't, isn't there? Like it's a balancing act almost. but. Half the time, if the public knew more about what was going on, they might be a little more understanding or patient and not so quick to criticise. Yeah, it is. It's just um, what is the best way forward to, you know, make sure everybody goes home sort of thing. And I guess you don't want to panic people. You mentioned a firearm or something and that causes people to behave a certain way and, uh, and do things too. So it's a real balancing act for sure. So before we finish up, what are you doing these days? Um, now, now, so I left the I left the job. I've been out um, five more than five years now. Um, left the job, and uh, I've got a little uh, training company. So Procom, as you mentioned at the start. So yeah, so we um, we run training for frontline teams across. Oh gee, lots of people. Um, Commonwealth, state government teams, and um, um, recently trained all the paramedics in Victoria. So four and a half thousand of them. We give them a day, and and the core of that day was negotiating with um, uh, aggressive people. And uh, you know we have we have their assault rate in uh, in the first six months, which was uh, was something I'm tremendous, yeah, tremendously proud of. That that was reward, yeah, rewarding. So paramedics, more paramedics going home without being assaulted. And, and who would have thought paramedics would have to worry about being assaulted trying to help people? But yeah, so doing that sort of stuff, mate, and and uh, loving it with all variety of um, a lot of nurses and frontline um, teams that just have to deal with people that for whatever reason are, are angry. Yeah, so loving it. It's been an absolute privilege to spend some time with you and to get an insight into another world uh, for most of us. Uh, I'd love to invite you back and tell us some more stories. So, I don't know, but I tend to think you might have a few tucked away there. Yeah, yeah great. That's true. Thanks, Sorrel. Great to talk to you. See you, mate. Thank you so much for your time, John. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.